Hello, I'm Paula Fanous and welcome to Formidables, a podcast series speaking from the heart of Western Sydney. In this podcast, I'll introduce you to amazing artists, young and old, who share with us about their creative careers. We are broadcasting from Darug country, so we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. For everyone who's listening at home, today we have with us Melissa Ramos and Candy Park, who are two fantastic uh, dancers who work at the intersection of dance and cinema. So we're going to be speaking to them today. The first thing I would really like is for our audience to get to know you both a little bit. So could you please tell us your names and what genre of dance you do and how you got into it? That would be amazing. So we could start with Melissa maybe, and then uh, I'd love to hear from Candy also. Uh, Yeah, so um, my name is Melissa, and I'm an artist, filmmaker, and curator. In terms of a style of dance, I don't particularly have a a genre. I like to dance. I did do some, a bit of contemporary dance, and I have to say I'm a really good faller. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just love moving my body in, in any form. And Candy? Um, hello, everyone. My name is Candy Park, and I am a Korean Australian movement artist. I was classically trained from about the age of like 12, and then I'm now slowly um, diving deeper into the street scene at the moment, which is very exciting in Sydney. Um, yeah, as a filmmaker, I'm definitely just, uh, feels like I'm just putting my toe in it now, <laughs> but it's so exciting, the opportunities that I get to have, like, such as this one right now, um, talking to you guys, especially Melissa as well. Awesome, awesome. It's clear that you uh, have both had uh, a journey figuring out what dance is, what it isn't, do I want to fit in a genre, do I not? How do I define myself as an artist? It's a hard question, many hard questions. Uh, and so I guess let's go back to the start. Um, how did you fall in love with dance? Let's let's start there. Um, yeah, so I fell in love with dance uh, from a really early age, I think. Um, I was always alone as a child. You would find me, um, you know, drawing or just... Um, being in nature, but uh, dancing was something I, I loved to do. So <laughs> um, when I was a kid, my dad played drums and he was in the band. And my job was to gather the kids <laughs> and dance. So I did that and I did some DJing uh, at the same time. And I learnt uh, a few moves from watching music videos. So it all came down from actually watching music videos and just watching, um, you know, MC Hammer do his hammer dance and um, yeah, just like looking at uh, all, all, all that, um, yeah, music videos and where, where my love for dance was. So yeah, that's how I got into it. Um, I lived in Granada to learn flamenco and, and then, yeah, I just kept exploring different um, techniques. Then I got into recording and creating um, dance films because of that reason. It's awesome that 
one interest becomes two, becomes three, becomes four. And before you know it, you're a dancer who does cinema and, and that's awesome. Yes, Candy. For me, I can't actually recall if there was like one moment where like I knew dance was the thing for me. I f- feel like it felt very natural uh, as a baby. I think I was very much of a entertainer kind of personality um, since a very yeah young age. Like my parents would just, you know, when their friends come over, they'd just turn to someone and be like, okay, can you dance? And I'd be like, okay, like this is my time to shine. Like I was very, very bubbly, um, wasn't afraid or wasn't like shy to you know, bust out a few dance moves for my parents. And then I think that kind of naturally just led on to, um, yeah, finding my own voice through movement. Although it wasn't like obviously the easiest pathway to take, I definitely don't regret making that decision to become a movement artist. Yeah. But yeah. Awesome. And and you mentioned that it wasn't uh, an easy pathway to take. Uh, I'm curious, what kind of obstacles did you have to overcome on the way to, to being here today? Um, if you're in the arts industry, uh, you'll definitely relate to this. Also, if you're from an Asian background. <laughs> Very funnily enough, uh, although my parents loved seeing me dance at a young age, when they found out I wanted to take it seriously, they were like, what? No way, you can't do that so risky and it's quite funny because they were both well especially my mum she was a fashion designer when I was younger so she knew exactly like the hardships I was going to face going into the art sector and yeah and my dad as well wasn't very tough uh wasn't very easy to convince so I guess that financial obstacle that I had to face um doing it when I was older and then the having to move out of home to go to a full-time school, um, that was very lonely. And yeah, I guess trying to balance, you know, my family's needs and wants as well as mine and trying to, you know, make everyone happy, but also having to pursue what makes me happy wasn't, yeah, the easiest. Although, yeah, although it wasn't the easiest, both of my parents are um, very much supportive of me now, yeah, in this career. So it, we're on a we're on a good note here. <laughs> yes, all's well that ends well. That's that's really really good to hear. Let's talk about how how you went from dancing and loving to dance and expressing your creativity through dance and deciding to integrate technology into that. Deciding to. Uh, video record and share it in the form of film how did that begin uh, for you um yeah no so I didn't really record um my dances Uh, I never considered it as a um, part of my work until um there was like one moment in my life where I did an artist residency in Berlin um and I met up with um some Swedish, uh, Danish uh, dancers, and we did a collaboration. They asked me to be part of the uh, sort of collaboration, and I was recording what they were doing. And I think from that experience, I was really drawn to the uh, movement language uh, through dance. 
and through the screen. And I think there was a moment when I was recording a really beautiful hand movement, something like shook up in, in my body and I just went with, through some sort of revelation that I really want to continue doing this. And we had a really great collaboration. I learned so much about the language. It just took my art uh, process into another level. And from there, they asked me to do another art residency uh, in Copenhagen in a couple of months. And I said, oh, I was supposed to be somewhere else, but I'll cancel that and I'll do it anyway. Why not? Um, and then for a, ho- for a whole month, all we did was sit in a studio, talk about the concept, record, um, and then do a presentation. And that intense moment, um, it changed my life. I, I had a ch- it was very challenging. I've never done it before. And then there was one moment when I was sitting in the back of the uh, studio and I had like one day to record this beautiful um, dance movement that they were talking about. And <laughs> I don't know if you get this, but I get epiphanies. And whenever they happen, I have to follow through. And that moment, I, I was watching like a leaf falling. I uh, was autumn. And that I knew how to record that leaf. And just it just went, okay, I just had that instant visual. It just happened in my head. And I got that inspiration and I thought, okay, I'm going to record it like that. And yeah, it was just such a, I loved it. I was like, I felt like I was connected to everything when, when I'm looking at movement. So that sort of changed my career and then I just kept on learning as much as possible about dance. I did a lot of workshops, um, being a dancer <laughs> um, and also helping out with recording and just getting deeper um, about the history and just kept on doing more collaborations with um, choreographers and dancers. But yeah, so that's how I transitioned into making more dance films and curating it, celebrating it. Yeah, and that's how it all started for me. Yeah. So it's, it seems that there's a certain joy and beauty in moving and then another layer of beauty in capturing and watching that movement. And I guess as the dancer, you kind of, you're always doing the dancing, but as the dancer and the film, the videographer, you get to both dance and enjoy watching that. And that would be really special. Um, awesome. Uh, Candy, how did uh, dance and cinema first introduced themselves as as two art forms that got along for you? As a teenager, I think I loved um, dancing on screen. I like I loved to record myself moving, um, not only like as a to track progress, but to also just, I guess I didn't know back then, but now I'm looking back and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I liked the the certain framing that I put myself in or like the, you know, the technicalities of it and I guess I kind of first realized this um when I was in full-time dance school and there was this one moment um for like how we did like this passion project in full-time where we had to create this dance film together and all we had was um a teacher who was going to film it and 
this teacher that I absolutely adore and love. His name is Neil Whitaker. So supportive, but because it was uh, us preparing it, the students, uh, all of us were very just like, you know, kind of back of the train, like just waiting for each other to like make the first move. And then we got on set and all of us were just kind of looking at each other like, what's going on? Like, because we had only made the dance, but no one actually had really thought about like how this is going to be filmed. And like me just being like that person, I was like, okay, Neil, so <laughs> can we please get it this way and then this way and then maybe try this angle and then, you know, what do you think about this? And then he like looked at me and he was like, I'm very impressed, like this is great. And then, yeah, that day kind of finished off that way. Um, but geez, like I was sweating that whole day, like I was like running around, but it was like the best kind of like um, almost as like exhilarating as like when I'm dancing. And I realized, wow, maybe I do have a you know very big passion for filmmaking and, um, you know, being able to like direct movement, directing like camera movement as well. Um, yeah. And I guess that also <laughs> leads on to <laughs> when I uh, entered for the Sharp Short dance, which Melissa was on the panel for. So yeah, so this is such an honor to actually be speaking to her right now. But yeah, that was crazy. I... Um, that was during lockdown and they were like, make a film. So I knew people were going to make films about, you know, being in lockdown and how it was so restrictive. And I was like, okay, I need to think outside of the box. Like, what can I do that makes it seem like I'm not in lockdown? And I was like, okay, maybe I can focus on a person. And I, I know I've always wanted to, you know, portray my mum's story and my parents, um, but especially my mum at the time. Yeah, so it kind of just, I just made a storyline, I interviewed her, like I, I made like 80 questions and I only ended up putting in like five questions, but someday, I, I, I don't know, someday I, I hope to make a whole film about her, but, but yeah, that was a very special experience for me and I guess that really deepened my love for filmmaking, yeah. So being able to capture the things you love about dance and share them much more effectively um, I guess that would make anyone fall in love with with film Melissa so I want to hear about sharp short dance tell me about that process from your perspective uh what was required of you did you have to watch lots of different dance films and and what was that like for you uh yeah so um i was one of uh amongst other um judges for sharp shot dance and i've done it twice now it's just been incredible so from doing that uh we would watch all the uh submitted uh dance films and um, they will be in different categories. There's different categories that we choose to award each each film, and they would submit it based on particular um, genres. So, yeah, sort of, we would like watch all of them together, and then we would meet up again and we discuss ones that that stood out that was through a different type of criteria. Uh, I kind of had my sort of checkbox what I have to look for, but some, some other um, panellists may have a different 
format but um yeah I I sort of look for films that it becomes uh its own entity and it really um it's not just documenting a dance move it's also um creating something different a new language or a, a way of bringing in sort of the cinematic techniques but also dance together like in a hybrid form and yeah and just also um, playing experimenting of how to do it in particular how they use uh, the camera and and how they frame it and also editing plays a really big role um, and the music and then you got narrative on top so it's um, it's a really uh, intense sort of work to create a dance film uh, it's not just filming a dance there's so many layers to it um, and the good thing about dance films is that you can watch there's one say you've got one dance move and with dance films there are uh, so many ways of filming it it's like so many perspectives so uh, it can it can be endless like it could be so beautiful it's your expression so that makes it quite an interesting um, art form so that was a really good experience and every year it's just becoming better and better and it's uh, really great it was really great to see um, Candy's work and <laughs> to be honest we all just went yep Candy <laughs> we didn't have to say anything we were just like yep Candy <laughs> yeah your work was amazing and congratulations so for those listening at home, uh, Candy won the the Sharp Short Dance competition uh, with her short film, her dance film. So congratulations, Candy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so I'm curious about the the practical elements of of creating a film uh, and a dance film because I know for a fact it's not as simple as getting a camera, pointing the camera, and and recording, like you said angles framing even lighting and 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 music and things like that so do you have any advice for uh, any people at home who love to dance have a camera and don't know what to do with it how do you go from there so you have a camera and you love to dance what are your next steps (laughs) honestly so the way you describe it was actually the thing that I like was quite Um, It was the thing that kind of put me off um, filmmaking at the start because I was like, oh, but there's so many elements. There's so many this. I need to think of that. And like, what about this kind of technique? You know, there's just so many things to think about. But I think the best advice is just to do it. Like whatever you have in your mind, just even if you're a visual person, like storyboard it, make make like a visual like a plan for yourself and then just follow through with it if you're more of like a you know um you hear a song and then that's what you get drawn to then just follow the song um or if you have more of like a concept then like hash out the concept and then just just trial it's just it's just very much trial and error like there's no one right um way to film make and there's so many different artists out there that have their own way of filmmaking. So, like, I'm sure, like, while you do it, you'll find, like, the the way that makes you feel comfortable and great and confident. So, yeah, or if you have trouble 
kind of finding your own style in filmmaking, then it, it's, so, it's so fine to just... I think in, like, film school they call this, like, a stalker project. You just find filmmakers or directors that you uh, aspire to be like. You watch heaps of their film, you analyse it, and then you kind of try to recreate uh, the vibe that they go for. And then through that you might find that, oh, actually, this director does it this way, but I like to do it this way. And then that's how you slowly find your own style of filmmaking. Uh, Something that I had actually uh, trouble with was dancing for the camera. And I think uh, when you're just dancing, it's very, like, 3D. But when you're dancing on film, it's almost more effective to be a little 2D and, uh, like, have more shape and breadth around your limbs and whatnot. This is very, like, technical stuff now. But... um, yeah, like kind of just playing around with like what movement looks great on camera and like what, you know, um, also going back to, yeah, your intent for this film, like, or even just a little clip, like 15 second clip, doesn't really matter. Yeah. But just playing around is the best way to get started. Yeah, so oddly enough, it, it is as simple as point it and shoot it and, and then keep doing that until it feels right and and let your uh, film progress in that way. Uh, sounds awesome. Uh, Melissa, do you have any advice for people with a camera and, and no clue what to do with it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, Kenny just uh, said a really great way of yeah, just making the film. I just start experimenting. But um, on, on the back of that, I would suggest, yeah, definitely do a lot of um, research. I would look at anything in terms of dance, not dance, uh, other sort of genres within the dance, uh, I mean the the cinematic um, language. I would watch films, TV series, anything that draws in movement that is quite interesting, how they portray movement through the camera, how is that expressed and then editing and having a look at how they create the illusion that you actually part of the part within the space so the thing about um, cinema it draws you in it takes you into another space so that is the the language once you find the craft that you can teleport your viewer within a frame through sound movement editing you have so much um, creative opportunities to do to create whatever is innately part of what you're trying to express and I would like have a a visual journal and just like take pictures or like sketch it out um, do storyboards and even just like watching YouTube and then pausing it and you went okay that frame ended there and started there and then it uses this technique you just document as all the things that you love and then write down why and then that could be your sort of beauty beautiful little little book of inspiration um, that you can always go back to and experiment so it's it's just yeah ongoing experiment and yeah just being really curious about how how you can create I mean dance and cinema have always been intertwined from the very beginning the first uh, film that uh, that they created was you know, it was movement. It was without sound. It's all about movement. So it's the moving picture. It's always been integrated. 
um, movement is stories. It's so you can definitely find inspiration in any form. It doesn't have to look dancey as well. You can combine just to, yeah, everyday movement as part of it. Yeah, so um, there's a kind of my advice. <laughs> and, and if you're curious about, uh, to our audience at home, if you're curious about how filmmakers can represent movement very beautifully, uh, if you simply type beautiful scenes in films onto YouTube, you will find just five to ten second compilations of amazing, amazing shots in cinema, and that can uh, possibly inspire you to, to get on your way. So I'm curious now, uh, because Candy touched on it earlier, that idea of being Asian in Australia and um, how that brings with it obstacles, and I'm sure it also brings with it wonderful things also. So my question is, how has your heritage, your, your cultural heritage, impacted your journey as a dancer? And I'm thinking the challenges and the things that you love most. I didn't realise it would affect me so much until I got into full-time. Um, and my full-time dance school was in the Shire, where it's predominantly white. During full-time, I think it was uh, the biggest hit for me. Um, there were about three Asians, including myself, in my cohort. And that obviously isn't a lot. And, yeah, the same people, the people that were getting chosen for, you know, jobs, contracts, you know, for advertisements, et cetera, et cetera, they all were the same type of uh, standard that the media constantly pushes. And I'm also a little bit of, a uh, little sick and tired of the, you know, where uh, we're pushing for adversity, like diversity and, you know, we want like so many cultures and so many shapes and, you know, et cetera. But, but if you actually look at it, the people that are still being pushed out aren't actually that much different from each other, sorry. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, where we're in this generation where we keep saying a lot of things, but is it actually being handled in the right way? I'm not too sure. And I think it's also because while dancing, becoming a dancer is definitely not an easy job, not an easy career. So the biggest thing I had to go through was, okay, not only do I like not look the same, so that's like another, you know, obstacle that I need to go through, but I also like still need to, like how can I differentiate myself from all these people in the room, you know? And I guess it was me realising that maybe I can actually use my uh, appearance in in a different type of way. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I definitely don't want to undervalue anybody else, but um, my friends and I almost had to work two times harder just to get where we are now because of the standards and opportunities that we weren't being able to get it's so it's so hard in the creative industry being Asian and I know there are definitely films out there like for example 
the most recent Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't know if you may have watched it, but it was a very big eye-opener for me. And just coming out of, like, I feel like something that I've, like, recently trying to push is, like, Asian excellence and, like, what type of, you know, what legacy am I going to leave behind? I've been constantly thinking about this while, you know, making movement, making films, etc. And although what I said beforehand was a little bit pessimistic, I want to say that my future and the future for Asian Australians are looking a little brighter. Sorry, looking a whole lot brighter than what it was looking like for my parents. Um, so in the in the lighter sense, I'm really grateful that I get to be brought up in a generation where I can make change and where I'm allowed to speak up and, you know, say the truth and kind of address these issues. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that so much of that strength uh, that you have comes from the very unfortunate fact that you had to fight so hard to get here. Uh, so... Uh, thank you for for all of that um, that resilience that that you put into getting here. Um, and Melissa, I'm sure you have more to say about about that. Um, yeah, I mean uh, it's changing um, a lot since uh, I started my artistic career. Um, you know, I mean, like I was always asked to exhibit in um, Asian group exhibitions and Southeast Asian exhibitions, (laughs) you know, all the time. And I always questioned it, and it's always about um, the same themes. But looking back, I do think it was quite important and valuable because we they needed people to express from that place um, and to really own it. And I think it's uh, good to, you know, for awareness, and they need the right people. So I think it was important at, um, now, but at the time I was always thinking, why am I pigeonholed in this genre? Because this is who I am and this is where I come from. I'm Australian Filipino. I always get asked to do Filipino exhibitions, which is fantastic and I love it. But yeah, but then, um, yeah, I think when you uh, find like-minded artists amongst you, you, you get inspired from what where they take it. You're you're creating you're gonna create it. You're you're changing it while you do it. And it will take you anywhere that you want to go. So that strength that you had to go through being uh particularly uh labelled is at the time, yeah, I think that's what happened, but it's changing and what's important it's your voice. Um, the way you express it is what people will remember, not because you're in that group exhibition with Asians. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think uh, it's changing quite a lot. and We need diversity. We need that. We need to celebrate that. And I think it's changing and that's where we're going to um, go to. So, but yeah, that's right. my kind of uh, thinking about that. I really like that idea that we're not just... Um kind of finding ourselves in this challenging landscape but as artists um you're an active player in that landscape uh you can influence it and that's a beautiful beautiful thing because it means the things you don't like are the things you can uh you know try to get rid of and and that's really exciting 
Um, so I'm curious um, about the impact of Western Sydney uh, and growing up there, learning there, working there. Um, how has that impacted your dance? Um, do you think that growing up in Western Sydney and dancing has meant that you dance differently uh, than if you had grown up in um, the Shire, you know, like you mentioned earlier? So I was uh, raised in Castle Hill and then I went down to the Shire for about two years and then um, experiencing all of that, coming back to Western Sydney, I'm located currently in Schofields, so out west, west. <laughs> it's so beautiful coming back here. It really feels like home. I feel like everybody really cares for each other and the amount of initiatives that are coming out of Western Sydney, the amount of events and just, yeah, all those great things um, coming out of Western Sydney makes me so happy. Like, I'm, it just makes me beam. Um, dancing here, the dancers are truly, truly diverse, not only like culture-wise, but um, style-wise as well. You see a lot of different, very different styles Somewhere that I've been training recently, a quick shout out to KCC Dance Studio located in Seven Hills, is such a beautiful environment to train in. They really like appreciate everybody and it's more of a family and nurturing uh, environment than anything else. So yeah, I just love being back in Western Sydney and... Yeah, dancing here really makes me feel at home. That's great. I would have to say that um, I've been, I travelled a lot. I've, I, I lived overseas for quite a long time of my life. Uh, but there's something really unique about Western Sydney, I have to say. Um, I, th- I, think, I think the fact that we all come from diverse backgrounds and um, there's always a unique perspective. And... And we celebrate these differences. I, it was actually a culture shock to come back because we all got along and we're all different, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, so I feel that we see through the surface as well and I think we question what's beneath and we process from this perspective. And um, I think perhaps because each person either passed down from different generations, we carry this story. Um, we, we carry a unique story. It could be conflict or something that's, you know, we, we have in it. And there's like this really, there's this unspoken mutual voice of like resilience that we have um, because we come together and, and we're trying to find our feet. So there is that underlying um, tone about Western Sydney and yeah, we're just um, yeah creating um, from this space. Uh, it's great. I love it. I'm so proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, really begun thriving recently, and it's it is really, really great to see. I think that you put it really well when you called it uh, an unspoken mutual voice of resilience. I think that's that strength and and beauty that is hard to name in Western Sydney. Um, and yeah, congratulations for, you know, putting Western Sydney on the map and being part of that, um, that thriving. 
So, uh, are there any dance projects that you're currently working on that you'd like to introduce uh, to our audiences? Something that we did recently was to perform at TEDx Sydney under Celavi and the Human Program. So that was very, that was such a beautiful opportunity. And Stella was, uh, she's a Pacifica. Uh, she was representing that community and also representing just women. Um, so that was such a powerful event. And there aren't, there weren't, uh, there haven't been dancers uh, represented at the TEDx Sydney. Um, not that I'm aware of. So to be to be the first uh, group of women performing on that stage in front of like 2,000 people, I think, was an absolutely surreal feeling. And yeah, just very, very keen to keep riding this uh, very big wave representing women and Asian Australians. <laughs> yes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, um, so... I don't really perform or do dancing. I'm, I wish I could. So I'm the other side where I'm currently, uh, I have a touring show in Romania and Hungary in September. So I, I'm, I curated some dance films for, um, it's called Unfold Motion. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a touring around Romania and Hungary. I can't be there, but I was able to put it together and, and write about it. So that's uh, the, what I'm doing in a, next month. Um, thank you. Uh, so uh, the final question I'd like to ask you is one that we, we usually do ask, and that's if somebody is at home uh, listening, feeling very inspired, uh, a young person in Western Sydney. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for them uh, that you think would perhaps help them to grow more quickly, maybe avoid some of those unnecessary challenges? Um, in a way, it's kind of like advice to your younger self. But if people like your younger selves are listening in Western Sydney right now, uh, what advice would you give them um yeah i'll go first I, I have a couple i'm just looking i'm just thinking about what would i say to myself um 20 years earlier uh it would be like yeah know what makes you grounded i think um have it as like a toolkit when you um <clears throat> excuse me when you create um and also when life gets interesting like really challenging I think, uh, and this will really evolve by time. So, but um, you should like find something that you could uh, work from a grounded space. It could be like going for a walk before uh, working or do some meditation or anything that just realigns you. And then also like the, the next thing I would say just enjoy everything about being an artist and creating everything about it is just the best thing because when I was creating it was quite high pressure you know I was nervous about everything and you know thinking too much 
and I didn't really enjoy it too much as much I should have enjoyed every moment like even if it was challenging it opened up different avenues for you and yeah I I think when you do a show and then a couple months later you kind of reflect and you go oh my god I it's transformed me to a new person and it leads to more questions and those questions are great make that as part of your process and yeah enjoy relish every moment because I was just like oh my god how am I going to afford this and this and this I'm like no you gotta like be in the moment enjoy it definitely have something that can give you that flexibility to create so find a job that's like really flexible that allows you to do things travel create allows you to be creative on the side that is important definitely that was one of my art school teachers told me like Melissa make sure you have a, a good job that you could be creative and I'm like okay cool that's a really good um, advice um, and then yeah lastly I would say document your work um, it really helps with understanding about your process yeah that would be my uh, advice for for, for people who are inspired, wanting to be an artist and dancer, it's the best feeling, I have to say. You have a really, how can I say, really rich life. I, w I would say um, the value of being creative, it takes you to different levels of a person. And I think that has more value than a house or, you know... <laughs> You have connected, you connected with so many people, you created all these things and it's just, yeah, I would say I'm really happy that I chose to be an artist and not um, a career where I think, okay, I have to earn this much money so I can survive and pay off my, my house. <laughs> Never, ever. <laughs> so there's always um, a way, always research. If you want to live in a country where it, you know, you can do it. You can do anything. Just research and don't be afraid. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, Ken, did you have any uh, advice for those listening at home? I think mine are actually quite similar to Melissa's. Um, the first thing that I was going to say was to be, to remember you're human before you're your career. And I really resonated with what she said about having something uh, creative on the side as well as, you know, your actual, sorry, your quote-unquote, like, career. Yeah, I think that was also the best advice that I got, to be able to just be open-minded and draw inspiration from anything and anywhere. It doesn't always have to be from your uh, direct avenue of, your industry um but it can really just like be from something as random as like playing basketball or learning how to do learning how to play a new instrument or you know talking to friends parents just really anything eating your favorite food um because I felt like during lockdown although it was very suppressing on all of us um learning how to do new things and um you know, having these new like skills and like, like almost like a toolkit, you know what I'm saying? Um, they, they might actually just be the one thing that you might need. Um, you just never know. <laughs> so yeah, just always being open-minded to 
mm, your surroundings and um, so something that I also really like to do is journal and just writing everything down and it kind of keeps me on track with like where's my where my mind is at and where all my ideas are and it's the truth is you're not always going to feel inspired 24 7 so keeping that journal and when you are feeling not inspired going back to that that notebook of ideas or that notebook of you know whatever you want it to be really um really helped me in getting back that like spark every time and another thing is when people think the creative life people think you know constant like adrenaline constant like so many ideas so many sparks and but it really isn't and I think being a creative also means to be very disciplined just like any other career so if you really want to make it for yourself make a make a real you know career out of this then you really need to discipline yourself in the way that like if you have an idea work on it and work on it and then work on it and then scrap it all off and then work on it again and then work on it again like yeah really just tear your own idea I know it like sometimes feels like your baby um but being able to you know just rip it apart and then like care for it again I think that's when like my best work comes out of um and not being afraid to listen to other people's advice and feedback and yeah but really just if you love to do it then you just got to do it or else you you're gonna be old and then regret it (laughs) and nobody wants to do that so yeah just go for it just love it just do it just do life yeah uh okay so i'm sure that uh i'm personally really grateful for for all that advice um there's something in there for everyone um and it's been an absolute pleasure to to meet you candy and melissa and i wish you the best with your with your dance slash film careers and i'm sure that you'll keep making a huge difference as you already have thank you and have a great day You've been listening to Formidables, a podcast series commissioned and produced by Form Dance Projects. We thank Riverside Theatres, Diversity Arts and Information Cultural Exchange for their partnership, and we thank the Crown Resort, the Packer Foundation, and Create New South Wales for making this possible. I hope you all feel inspired and excited. Stay creative and stay tuned. Stay tuned.